Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. I hope everybody had a fantastic holiday weekend this past weekend and are ready to get back into it. Our students are out of school, obviously, so praying for all of us parents during this next season. And uh, yes, still voting for that year-round school system to take place so that we can keep going. Um, Today we have an incredible moment, and it's one of my favorite things to do outside of leading somebody to the Lord, and that's baptisms. We're going to be baptizing, I think, eight or nine people today, so I'm super excited about that. And baptism is one of the most important things that we as believers do. It is a, it's not just a symbolic act that we just go through the motions. It is a spiritual act that connects us deeper with Jesus. So what's going to be taking place with that? um, I've got a few things to walk through with our sermon, and then um, our students and adults who are getting baptized, they're going to sneak around here a little bit, um, and then we'll baptize them at the end of service. Um, Here's also real quick for instructions. um, They're going to be getting baptized behind me in the window. Um, And uh, it's kind of weird looking in a window and people aren't, never mind. Um, But uh, as soon as they get baptized, uh, their service part will be over. You can grab them in the hallway or in the bathrooms if they're your kids or grandkids. Meet them out there by the bathrooms is where they'll exit. All right, let's get started. Father, we just thank you for an incredible day already. We just thank you that as we dive into your word, you open our ears to hear what you want us to hear, our eyes to see what you want us to see. Let us grow together. Let us grow individually. God, unite us in a season of life that seems to want to divide each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a weird prayer. Um, unite us in a season of life that wants to divide us. I, I woke up um, at 3.30 this morning um, for no apparent reason. There was no sounds. There was no stress. You just woke up. Was anybody else awake around that time, 3.34 o'clock this morning? Yeah. It was crazy because the amount of green dots on Instagram that were on at that time was unbelievable. And, and it's funny because I, I realized that even though in that moment um, I, I was physically alone, uh, there was a lot of people that were surrounding us at the same time that were wide awake too. And one thing I want you to understand is that the world is doing its absolute best to convince you that it is best to be alone, to live alone, to isolate yourself from everyone and everything else. Um, And we have found ourselves living in this culture now where for the beginning of humanity, we have always been uh, tribal, Um, if you want to break it down even further. We've always been herd animals. You know, we've always been pack animals. Like we've always connected. Because you've got to realize, uh, before we had um, Smith & Wesson, uh, we had stones and rocks. And stones and rocks weren't very powerful against lions. Lions haven't changed. Right? We've just gotten powerful weapons. Okay? So to live and be isolated was to be a death sentence for many. And that's why when you see when, when, when God tells Abraham to get out of your country, Abraham doesn't walk alone. He takes his tribe with him. And it's weird now, for the past few years, uh, we've been watching the world do its absolute best to take us from being tribal to being individual. 
And one way it's done that is by, of course, isolation. But the second thing that's taken place is by division. It's doing its best for me to be afraid of my neighbor. Have you ever felt something, a conviction, a, a thought? Maybe it was a spiritual thought. Maybe it was a political thought. Maybe it was a personal thought. Maybe it was just a, a, a priority. And you're finding yourself now second-guessing whether you should say something in fear that you might offend somebody. So here's what we're going to start off with. The gospel is meant to offend It's one of the most offensive literature pieces ever written. Because at its core, the Bible tells me this thing, and that is this. I am wrong. At the core of everything it walks through is it continually points out that the problem isn't you, the problem is me. But we're not living in that world anymore. So if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen eventually. Um, I'm going to throw some things at, at, at Lauren. Um, but Acts chapter 2 is where we pick up. Pastor Allen preached last week, did an amazing job. If you weren't here, do like I did, watch it on Facebook um, or get the podcast, listen to it. It was really, really great. And as he's walking through being led by the Spirit, uh, one thing that we're, we have to realize is, is that being led by the Spirit should constitute a life change. If we are not changing on a regular basis, I didn't say daily basis, but a regular basis, we have to ask ourselves, are we really progressing in the things of God or are we just comfortable? Because a people group that find themselves comfortable may be able to maintain that for themselves, but the next generation will lose all the ground that the previous generation has won. And this is, this is an, an act of uh, what you can see with war, is that you'll see a generation such as David uh, take over parts of the land. His son Solomon takes over parts of the land. Then his sons become comfortable and we see the land shrink. We see the lands divide. We see the lands break up because one of the things that we can do is that if the enemy can teach you that you have arrived and that everything's okay and that you don't need to grow, he automatically convinces you and your kids and your grandkids to shrink. Because what we'll do is we will become peacekeepers, peacemakers, if you will. I, I, I shared this recently. It was a video that I found. I, I loved it. The idea of being a peacemaker versus a peacekeeper. Uh, a peacemaker is somebody who makes peace. A peacekeeper is somebody who keeps peace. Here's the difference. A, a peacekeeper will keep the peace at all costs. I don't want to offend. I don't want to say you are right. I will retreat just so that you can be okay. We learned that that didn't work in World War II. The more appeasement we did for a people group, the more that they took over. I'm not calling anybody Nazis, good God. I'm just saying that the idea of appeasement to the enemy is wrong. Now, a peacemaker is somebody that will make peace at all cost. And to make peace means sometimes you make war. A peacemaker is somebody that goes, this is how long I will tolerate something, and once you cross that line, 
to keep my peace, I'm making war against you. And this is where the enemy has continually tried to get Christianities to do, is to backtrack and just be peacekeepers. Just keep the peace. Just keep the peace. Don't offend. Keep the peace. Water it down. Keep the peace. Water it down. Keep the peace. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 is the very first sermon post the, the, the risen Lord. And, and we're going to watch what Peter says. It says this in verse 22 of chapter 2. Um, help me out, Lauren. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, pause for a second, he has been dead, he has been risen, he has walked the earth for quite some time, he has now left. We have now had this experience at what we call Pentecost, um, and, and where the Holy Spirit came into a room, people are speaking in, in, in languages, uh, not babbling, but they're speaking in foreign languages that other people can understand. This isn't like Shana Labotai, Kista Mahanda, Honda, 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 Honda. Like this is actually a foreign language that they're, they're speaking out. Everyone understands what's going on, that this is bizarre, this is taking place. And they're going, what is this? And somebody goes, they must be drunk. Peter's like, we're not drunk. Here's what's happening. This was prophesied in Joel chapter 2 that in the last days he would pour out his spirit. And in verse 22 it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God. In other words, a man that was sent by God for a specific purpose. Did you know that you too are attested by God? You are also sent here for a specific purpose. He was sent by God to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. It's interesting because there has been a plurality of weeks since his death and resurrection, and now where Peter is standing up and making the statement, he's going, you have even seen some of these things. Why? Because even after his death and his resurrection, miracles were still taking place. So he's connecting himself to an audience, and he's looking at them going, the guy that I'm about to talk to you about, you've seen his miracles. You yourself know what's going on. You, you've experienced these things. This Jesus, verse 23 says, was delivered up according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. This is an uncomfortable part. Because if you were attested by God, there is a possibility that there would be an uncomfortable moment or moments in your life sent by God. See, this is where the charismatic shut me down. Because we love the Jesus that does miracles and we love the Jesus that breaks the bread and walks on the water, but we don't love the suffering version of sometimes. And why? Because the suffering of our faith will produce something. Let me just stop you on this one. God isn't testing you because he wants to find out what's inside of you. He already knows. But the testing of my faith awakens who I am and how far I have progressed. A couple weeks ago, we had my mom on stage lifting weights. You remember that one? That was great. Getting swole. But what's great about lifting weights is that it puts us under pressure. And if you get your muscles under tension long enough and, and frequent enough, they will have to grow. 
And so what you do is you do what's called a, 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 a what I do with my mom is a one rep max. We see how much she can lift one time. Why? Because in the next six weeks, we're going to build a program to help her break through that max. But she won't know if she's broken through that max until we test her max again. And this is what happens a lot of times in our lives is that we take the testing of our max and go, God gave up on me. I guess I should quit. I can't do this anymore. Where is God? But the reality is, is that you're going to see if you persevere and you don't quit, you're going to see how far you have grown. Because once you break through a max on your weights, the next thing is setting new goals is realizing that my ceiling is now my floor. And that is the one thing that God is continually wanting to do, is to take you from grace to grace, glory to glory, from my ceiling is now my floor, and my ceiling is now my floor. And I'm continually progressing up through what God has for me. Jesus of Nazareth was delivered with foreknowledge of God. In other words, God wasn't surprised, as pastor said today. He wasn't pacing like, they captured him. What do we do? I have no idea. Because God isn't playing checkers, he's playing chess. And sometimes you sacrifice something to say checkmate later on. I've been teaching my son chess and we've been playing and, and going through this and you'll see this little grin on his face because he's like, I got him. Got him. And I, and I panic. Like, oh no, what am I going to do? Like, oof, I'm sweating the board because, and, and I'll look at a square, like, I just hope he doesn't go there. Like, I keep looking, he'll, he'll grab his thing and he'll watch my eyes and, and he'll let go. And I'm like, that was dumb. <laughs> Checkmate. And just drop him. The enemy is continually trying and has thought at this moment when he crucifies Christ that he has checkmate on God. He thought it was done. What he didn't realize is that by putting himself in a very precarious situation, he now not only had a Jesus walking around, he now was able to multiply Jesus into every single believer that would confess his name. And from having one problem, it exploded into so much more. I love what one of my, my college professors said. He says, if the enemy knew what he knows now, he would have murdered everyone who tried to murder Jesus. Because it became uncontained. It exploded. I, I, and I love this. You have taken by lawless hands. It's implied. You have crucified, and you have put to death. That's a very harsh statement. Especially when you think that the vast majority of these people weren't even in the same city when Jesus was crucified. Peter's standing up, not appeasing anybody, but pointing at strangers and go, you killed Jesus, you killed Jesus, you killed Jesus. Every last one of you killed Jesus. You are the ones that did all of this. In verse 24, God raised him up from the dead, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Verse 29, skip down for time. Brothers, I'm may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. 
being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are hearing and seeing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself, the Lord, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all of house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? No one threw stones and go, how dare you? I wasn't anywhere close to this place. Can't even spell Jesus. I'm out of my own business, and you're going to say I did something wrong? No, because in every single one of their lives, they realized something really quick, and that was this. My actions always grab a nail and a hammer into the hands of Christ. And now they're at a predicament. Because he's not dead, but I killed him, and he's walking around. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? In other words, I shoot and kill you. You come back from the dead. You're most likely wanting to shoot and kill me back. <laughs> this is the mindset that they're finding themselves in. Oh, no, he's not dead. Oh, God, what do we do? Peter, tell me there's something to do. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls unto himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there they were added 3,000 souls. Notice that last part. We magnify the 3,000 souls, and that's fantastic. First part of 41. 41. Then, then those who. Look at that. Then those who. Who? There's a missing word there. That missing word is everyone did. Why? Because not everyone did. And this is where we hit the, the, the hard part of this sermon, and that is this. Peter's answer is, you crucified Jesus. How did we crucify Jesus? You crucified him because you yourselves are lawless and sinful people just like me. 
And the only way that sin could ever be erased is through a sacrifice. Every one of them knew this. They're good Jewish men and women. They knew that only a sacrifice could be taken care of. And yet, they're continually told, one day there will be a lamb. One day there will be a Messiah that will wipe away it all, that will do all of these things. And now, Peter is looking at them saying, the one who did it, you killed him. So what do we do? Is he out to kill me? Is he out for revenge? Is he, what's he going to do to me? And you know what's crazy is 2,000 years later, we're still asking the same questions. We're continually having this moment where either A, we're one of those who walk away and don't care, or we're one of those who are cut to the heart and go, what must I do? And if we're cut to the heart and we're going, what must I do? Then we flow off into two different directions. Option A is that we repent and are baptized according to the remissions of our sins. Option B is that we give up because we have no idea what to do with our lives. And we're full of shame. Can I tell you, shame is not a gift from God. It's meant to push you away from God. And we see this in Genesis chapter 3. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, their hearts were convicted, and what did they do? They ran and hid themselves. Then what did shame do? Shame had us blame each other for our problems. It wasn't me, it was the woman you gave me. It wasn't me, it was the snake. Because one difference is between conviction and shame is conviction will go, I am a problem. Shame will go, it's not my fault, they were the problem. Conviction will continually cause a man or woman to look inward and go, I need to change my thoughts and my actions while shame will continue putting myself in the victim seat going, I may have done something wrong, but it's not my fault. It's all these other things that have put me here. This is an issue that we're walking with in our world today. Our world has two big ideas. We need to change and we need to grow and we need to address our problems or it's not my fault. Let's just keep going in this direction. But here's something that I want to tell you. Every single one of us in this room and every single person that's watching online and listening to a podcast, you all, all of us have had things done to us that were hurtful and were not your fault. And I need you to say I'm not minimizing that in the least little bit. However, we cannot continue to dwarf our growth because we don't want to embrace the conviction and repentance of change. Because for some reason in my mind, Ms. Cole, is that whenever I address that, I'm now empowering the person that hurt me. And that's not the case. Can I tell you, the people that have hurt you have moved on and you're stuck. You're stuck in this moment. And you're stuck with dealing with the same things. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus, as Peter said, is still performing miracles today. And one of the greatest miracles that he will ever do is to take a lost soul like mine and turn it into something different. Because repentance is what we all need. Repentance is where we go. Three things. Number one, repentance is essential for salvation. They said, what must I do to be saved? They heard all the tongues. They heard all the things, what was going on. Peter says, repent 
every one of you, and be baptized. What do you have to do? You have to repent. That The Greek word there means to change one's mind. It's to go a 180. I was going in this direction, and I realized I'm lost. Listen, I love ways, mainly because it tells me where the police are. Sorry. Um, and so I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about getting a ticket as much. But I don't speed. Ever. Um, but one thing that Waze does is that if I pick a wrong direction, does it tell me to turn around? Most of the time, it just goes, I guess we're going in this direction, and it reroutes me, and it reroutes me, and it reroutes me, and keeps telling me. Wherever I turn, it just kind of makes a way out of nowhere. Repentance isn't continually making a way based on your direction. Repentance says, hey, dummy, it's not working. Turn around. Repentance isn't going, just keep going. Eventually, we'll find the interstate. Just keep going. There'll be some roads somewhere. You'll figure it out. All roads lead to the same place. They don't. When I was pastoring in Florida, I had an intern named Brian. And Brian lived in this area, and he was moving down to South Florida where we were to be an intern. And so he was going to leave the weekend before we start. So we start on a Monday. He was leaving on a Saturday to come down. Uh, something happened. He couldn't do it. So on Sunday, he calls me and goes, hey, Pastor, I'm going to leave on Sunday. Great. No problem. Whatever. Orientation's Monday morning, bro. Sounds great. Okay. I get a phone call at, I think it was like 8.30 Sunday night. Hey, Pastor. I'm like, yeah, what's up, buddy? He goes, like, how long am I on I-10 for? And I'm like, what do you mean? Why are you on I like where are you? And he's like, I, I'm it says I'm like 10 miles from New Orleans. <laughs> I said, hey Brian, there's something called east and west. <laughs> You're going in the wrong direction. At what point did he look at the Mississippi sign and go, got it, right direction, nailed it? Or upcoming Louisiana, and he's going, man, this. Our teachers were wrong. <laughs> so Brian had a choice. Does he continue in defiance and go, I'm just going to keep heading west, and eventually I'll make a loop around the world and come back through? <laughs> or does he do the mature thing, take the exit, and turn around? Days like today are an exit day for many of us where we realize we're heading in a direction that's the wrong direction. And sure, we can be stubborn, and we can keep going in that direction, and we can just be like, I know where I'm going. They've just changed the roads on me. Or you can realize you're the problem, and you have to pivot. Because if you can pivot where you are today, it's a hard step. Hear me out. If I can look in the mirror and go, Pete, you are wrong and you were the problem, I can pivot and make real life change. But as long as I'm blaming Bill for all of my decisions, I'm most likely going to try to weasel my way out from doing a U-turn. Repentance is a complete change. Number two, repentance is a gift from God. 
Acts chapter 5 says this, that we ought to obey God rather than men, for the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered hanging on a tree. This is so harsh. (laughs) God has exalted him to the right hand to be the prince and the savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of their sins. It's a gift. This isn't something you take for granted. Because there will be a moment where it'll be too late to repent. (coughs) One way to miss the judgment of God is to turn from sin and to turn towards God. The Bible says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn. Turn from their wicked ways. If you call out to heaven, I will hear you and I will heal your land. God gave Israel unbelievable moments to turn. Opportunity after opportunity. He would send prophet after prophet to call them to repentance before there became a judgment day. The judgment day, they would realize how hard it is and they would have this aha moment. Maybe I should call out to God. Then God wouldn't go, man, you deserve it. He would rush in and save them. They would have this revival of sorts. Then they would get comfortable. Then they would turn back towards their wicked ways. Then God would send prophet after prophet after prophet. And then they would left up to their own devices. Judgment would come back again. Oh, God, save us. This is a a cycle that continually goes on. I've noticed it in our lives, too. You know, I never pray for bad things to happen to people, ever. However, when somebody runs to me and goes, my life is falling apart, a lot of times I go, this is a great moment for us to pivot. A great moment to pivot. It's a genuine gift because the small amount of pain you feel today that will might cause you to pivot is so much less than an eternal pain if you never do pivot. It's an opportunity for us to get things right. Seek the Lord while he is still found is a verse that has continued to ring out. The third thing is this. Repentance is the response of faith. Paul said John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas what he must do to be saved, and his answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. They don't use the word repentance. It is always implied in this context here because repentance is believing that there is something greater than where I'm heading today. And if you're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is a continual process of repentance. Repentance, hear me out, isn't when I just raise my hand when I'm eight years old and go, I accept Jesus. Repentance isn't when I get baptized one time. Can I tell you, you should be continually evaluating every choice, decision, and thought and asking yourself, am I thinking in the right direction? 
Because here's what takes place in our lives, is that if we're thinking in the wrong direction, we will begin acting on the wrong direction. When we begin acting in the wrong direction, we will begin having habitual patterns in the wrong direction. When we have habitual patterns in the wrong direction, we find ourselves turning our minds off and living life continually in sin, not realizing that we're in sin anymore. The scariest part in my life was not when I was convicted of my sin. The scariest part of my life is when I stopped being convicted of my sin. When I would look back and go, man, I used to not like this at all. And all of a sudden, I have no shame, no conviction, no pain, no nothing. And I go, well, I guess God changed his mind. It's all okay now. Can I tell you, God didn't change his mind. He still has not changed his mind. He is continually sending to us on a regular basis a call for repentance in areas of our lives that need to be adjusted. The Bible is one of the most offensive things ever written because it will continue every single time you read it in its totality to look back and go, you have a problem. And the only answer is to get you out of the way. And I'm going to get you out of the way and connect you to Jesus. And he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He's going to connect you to what's going on. But Pete, how do I know? It's very simple. In Galatians chapter 5, it tells us the difference between those who are living by the fruit of the Holy Spirit and by those who are still stuck in their same patterns. Real quick. Galatians 5. Hit Ephesians, take a left. All right. The works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts to wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I've also told you in the past, those who participate in these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you are not making a mistake, not somebody cut you off on the road and you had this outburst, but you are continually living a life with these areas that are continually active in your life. These are fruits of a tree that is inside of you, the tree of the flesh. And we are continually eating from this tree. If you continue to eat apples over and over and over again, you don't turn into an apple However, in this context, when you're continually eating from the tree of the flesh, what's taking place is you continually hang out with this kind of fruit and you will continue to act like this kind of fruit. Any parent knows that when their kids start hanging out with bad kids, listen, I remember growing up, my mom would look at me and go, hey, you can't hang out there anymore. Because when you come home, you get disrespectful, you have an attitude, and a belt breaks out. And I love you enough to tell you I'm tired of beating you. So you can't hang out there anymore. Because I was influenced by the company around me. And parents, you know this. You know that when your kids get around other kids and they're negatively influenced, you're like, why are you acting this way out of nowhere? Like, what are you doing? Why would you think <laughs> you had to have had traumatic brain damage 
to think you could talk to me that way. Because 24 hours ago, my real kid would have never talked to me that way. I don't know what body snatchers thing happened here, but I'm going to beat the devil out of that one. Hmm. You're known by the fruit. I didn't say you're known by having a moment. Let's not put this deeper than it's supposed to be. Paul looks and says, I am the chief of sinners. No one sins more than I do. What he's not saying in this context here in Galatians is, if you make a mistake, if you, if you say something mean, if you have a moment of jealousy or, or have a moment of hatred in your, in your heart, that you don't have God and you're going to hell. That's not what this verse is saying. It's an indication of the fruit that I'm eating of, though. However, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let us walk in the Spirit. Well, how about the last part? I just saw that. Let us not become conceited. That's fun. Provoking one another. Envying one another. God is wanting us, can I tell you, to be provoked to be convicted by this. What he doesn't need from me is he doesn't need me to do his job. My job is not to be the Holy Spirit in the world to convict everyone of their sins. My job is to speak truth in love and let the chips fall where they may. And if we can look back at the source... So I'm going to relieve somebody. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, for the first time, is dropped like a bomb. And Peter preaches his first message, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in which he quotes a, a multitude of Old Testament passages in which he didn't have an iPhone to look them up. Okay? So the Holy Spirit did a couple of things. He gave them a new language to speak, and he gave Peter a fisherman insight into scriptures that he couldn't normally have. Two miracles right there. So Peter then, who was cowardly a month ago, I don't even know this man, is now standing up in front of thousands of people declaring, you're a murderer. (laughs) Three things. And the Holy Spirit uses Peter's voice to declare these powerful things, right? Yet not everyone repented. My job is not to convince everyone. My job is to speak the truth and know that it is in love and let the chips fall where they may. Moms and dads, you are not responsible for the decisions that, other, that your kids make. All we can do is to show them the word of God, preach to them the word of God, Raise them up the best way we know how, and eventually they make their own decisions. And then we're there to catch them. 
when they fall, when they make mistakes, when they're crying, when they're, when they're dealing with the choices that they make, we're there. When I was growing up, uh, I think it was the, in the 90s, whew, um, the WWJD bracelets hit really, really strong, right? Um, I, I remember telling my mom, I don't need a WWJD bracelet because I have a dad that will let me know what's right and wrong. And what's funny is it was a joke, but at the same time there was seriousness in that because I knew I didn't need to ask myself, what would Jesus do in the situation? I could just go to my dad and go, what do I do? And my dad would go, this is right, this is wrong, make your choice. So today, as we close out, I'm going to have the worship team come on up, please. The children of Israel left Egypt. Moses has died, and Joshua stands up, getting ready to take them into the promised land. And he makes this statement, choose this day who you serve. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. This is one of those moments in our lives as we get ready to do baptisms and everything else. And if you are getting baptized, go ahead and head to the back. Go get changed and get ready. Um, But if you are uh, in this moment and you're looking at it going, what do we do? How do we lead our lives? How do we make these changes? The first thing is this, is you have to recognize the need for a Savior. And the only way, Savannah, that I know I need a Savior is by looking inward and going, I am a problem. If I can't look at myself and say that Pete is the problem, I never need to look to Jesus as my answer. So first step is this. Where's my life heading? What's taking place around me? What are the fruit that I'm eating? Am I going through in the right direction? Am I going in the wrong direction? Just make the choice to choose this day who you'll serve. Serving God is, is, is complex, yet simple at the same time. It's going to require lots of life change, but at the same time, it's beautiful because he's done all the sacrificing. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just have to implement the things he said. And constantly, time and time again, making choice after choice to turn from my wicked ways, to turn from my sin, to turn from my, my decisions, and to change my thoughts. So God, we just thank you that today is a day of freedom. A day is a day that we can, we can make big life change and big decisions to, to, to move in the direction of your spirit. We thank you so very much, Holy Spirit, that you are in this place, that you are for us, you are not against us, that as we uh, sit here and we listen, that maybe there's areas of our lives that have been convicted, areas of our lives that we know, hey, I'm eating from the wrong tree on this one, and and, and I need to make a pivot, and I need need to adjust. Holy Spirit, I thank you that they they seek your word, they seek your voice, they they continue to chase after you to say, what is it that you want want of me to change, to develop, and to grow? And God, today, repentance, I, I just thank you as more than just saying, and I'm sorry, but it's a turning. It's making a conscious decision to turn from my ways. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.